Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. I'm coming to you live on this Friday, August the 26th, 2022. It is currently 3.35 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central Headquarters, the Theology Central Studios, the Theology Central Headquarters. Where did that come from? Do I call this the headquarters? I I, I don't like. Calling it a studio is already a little bit of hyperbole, but I, I I got tired of saying, coming to you from a second story bedroom, I, I, that, that, that didn't work. So it just, it just sounds a little bit more professional, say, coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios, for some weird reason, that became headquarters, coming to you from the place of world dominion. I don't, I don't know what I was, I don't know what I was doing. Let's, let's, let's stop, start over. We're, we're going to start over. We're just going to do it all over, right? Once you make a mistake, just do it over. I know you're like, but you really can't do it over because it was live on the air. That's okay. That's okay. When you make a mistake, when it doesn't go well, what do you do? Do you give up? Do you throw up your hands? Do you just walk away and say, well, it's too hard. It's too difficult. I'm just going to give up. I, oh, man, I, I, never mind. I, I just can't do it. Is, is, that, is that the approach? No, that's not the approach. The approach is, okay, well, let, let's try it again. Let's try it again. So welcome, everyone. It is Friday, August the 26th, 2022. It is currently 3.36 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. You, you see the improvement? You, you, was there a little bit of improvement from the first try to the second try? Do you think there was a little bit of improvement? I think there was. And hopefully you realize I'm doing all of that for illustration purposes. I hope you realize that. Because what I want to demonstrate is that doing Bible study, sometimes it's difficult and sometimes you're like, I don't know if I, did I do that right? Oh, I think that messed up. Oh, I think I'm a little behind. And you just want to give up, but don't. You keep working at it. And when it comes to Bible study methods, the more you do the methods, the more you improve. The more you use the tools that you learn within these Bible study methods, the more relaxed, the more natural it it becomes in using these tools and skills. So I, I hope that you will continue in the Bible study if you've been participating this week and that you will not give up and that you will do these Bible study methods more than one time. These Bible study methods that I have taught you and that I'm trying to demonstrate to you in this current study of the book of Amos. These methods are not to be used once and just forgotten. They're to become a daily part of your Christian life. They are to become a weekly part of your Bible study, even if you don't study on a daily basis. Hopefully you at least study on a weekly basis, right? I mean, is that too much to ask for? I know in the modern church to say Christians should be at least studying their Bible once a week, you'll get a look like, what do you think this is? Right? Come on, this, don't, don't tell me I need to do that. I don't have to do that. Okay, I understand. But hopefully you, you want to. And if you use these methods on a regular and consistent basis, you got to get through that little bit of awkwardness at the beginning. You got you to get past that frustration at the beginning. And the more... You use the skills, the tools, the steps. It just becomes second nature. And that's what I'm hoping to encourage you. And I just think that since it's Friday, right? We're fast approaching the end of the first week of our study in the book of Amos. I mean, Sunday, it's, you know, pencils down, heads up, right? Pencils down, heads up. It's, it's done. We're done with the first week. And then we enter into the second week. And so the goal by the end of the first week is to conclude the book background method of Bible study. That is what, remember, I've given you a comprehensive book Bible study method, which is made up of four methods. The first method is the book background method, and that is what you're supposed to be working on this week. I know some people feel like they're behind. I know some people may have already given up. I know some people may have quit. Some people haven't even bothered to start. Wherever you are, just take 
the book background method. It's right. That method is available for you to listen to anytime you want, 24-7 on demand on any of the podcasting apps, or you can go to the Church One app, go to the Bible study exercise series and look for book background method and just learn that method. And you can start taking those steps to finish the method at any point in time. Even if you're behind, it's okay. Even if you're behind, just keep moving, just keep doing what you can whenever you can. But if you want to, if you want to kind of stay right with us, try to work to finish the book background method by Sunday evening. All right. If you can, by Sunday evening. Now, I this is what I would recommend. Now, I would not typically do this, but I'm going to recommend this. Wherever you are on Sunday evening, you pick a time, 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. You pick the time, whatever time, Sunday evening. Whenever the, the clock gets to that time, whatever you have done with the book background method, wherever you are, that's it. You're just done. And you're going to just move right on to the next part. Uh, because I believe that that even an incomplete book background method, even an incomplete one will at least... I don't think it should stop you from moving forward. Yes, it's always better to have it, but if you don't, just move forward. So many times I'll be like, don't take the next step until you go back and finish the previous one. But here, I I just kind of, if we can all stick together, I think it will be beneficial. And just remember, the book background method, the whole purpose of this, especially in the way we're doing it as a part of the comprehensive study method, is just to get us acquainted with the background. Get us the basic information. So if if you didn't dot, if you didn't dot every I, cross every T, if you if you didn't do everything perfectly, if you can at least look at me and say, okay, here's the basic information, the basic background information to the book of Amos. Here's what we know. And you can just rattle off the basic things. You get the basic concepts, the basic ideas. And, and if you've listened to the things that I have done in these episodes, then hopefully. I, I think you'll be ready to go. I think I think we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish, all right? We've set out to make sure you have enough background information about Amos that when we actually step into the book to start reading it and working through it, when you get there, you're not confused, discombobulated, and you don't walk in going, I'm going to make this about me. You're going to immediately remember, no, 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 this is not about me. This is about this situation and this, and you, you'll know what's going on and where Amos is at and why Amos is there and what's happening and why is there message of judgment? You're going to get a, you're already going to have a basic idea. So that's my, that's my thought. That's my suggestion. You do not have to take it. Obviously you can do whatever you want, but, um, I think if we, I think if we work together, um, we can, we can get through this. Now it is Friday. This is part seven, I believe. Let me verify. I believe this is part seven. Let me verify. I believe this is part seven. Yes, this is Amos part seven. And we got to talk. We we have to have a heart to heart right here. We have to have a heart to heart. I've got a week doing the episodes the way I have done them. And I've tried to change them up a little bit. Let me try to explain what I've tried to do. I I cannot say, well, put it this way. I have a pretty good idea that not everyone thinks that my approach has been the best. I understand that. But let me try to at least explain what I have done. and, And just to let you know, things will dramatically change once we get into the book. But here's what I've tried to do. I, I taught you, I spent hour, four plus hours teaching you the comprehensive book Bible study method, right? I gave you the book background method, the book survey method, the chapter and verse analysis method, and the book synthesis method, right? I've taught you every step to those methods. I gave you an overview of all the methods. Then I took you step by step through each method. Then I'm like, okay, we're going to take this method and we're going to use it on the book of Amos. In fact, actually, I gave all the listeners a choice, a chance to pick the book. I didn't give you much time. And then I went ahead and just chose for you the book of Amos. Now, what I could have done is I could have turned on the microphone and said, okay, 
Remember, here's the basic steps you need to take. Go do it and, and not do anything else. But I decided, you know what? I'm going to turn on the microphone and live on the air, I'm going to just kind of work through the book background method in real time live on the air. I'm going to have a pencil. I'm going to have a notebook. I'm going to have reference tools. I'm going to be writing things down. I'm going to be kind of just working through it. That doesn't make, make the most exciting episodes, but it helps you kind of see how you're, you're trying to think about it in real time. Now, not everything has been perfect, but that's the way Bible study is. It's never perfect, but it's been, it's tried to be very real and walking you through the steps. Now, I realize that it's not the best maybe for a podcast, but I think I think it's important and useful. So I don't feel too bad, even though it may have hurt our numbers. I don't care. Maybe I do care. That's why I'm mentioning it. But then in a roundabout way, I, I guess I guess I'm conflicted. On one hand, I do care. On the other hand, I don't care because I really think it's important for people to see, hey, this is this is Bible study being done in real time. It's just not me sitting down going, okay, let me just teach you the background to the book of Amos. It was more like, hey, I'm on this step. Here's what I'm figuring out. And what that's supposed to do is for you to go then email me and go, but, but, but I figured this out or what about this or you missed this. So it did not necessarily completely accomplish what I wanted to, but I still think the method is important. Once we get into the book of Amos itself, especially in the very next step when we enter the book and we start the surveying of the book, I probably will mix up the episodes with some of that same same similar thing where I'm working through each step, but then I may come in with maybe, I don't some kind of small teaching, a devotional, who knows? We'll try to mix it up. So I hopefully that will improve certain aspects of it, all right? I hope that will. That kind of gives you an idea where we're going. But Sunday night, you pick the time. That's where you need to finish the book background method of Bible study. If, you, if you're tuning in today and you're like, I don't have a clue what's going on, well, you've missed a lot. <laughs> Go back to the Bible study methods, which were done prior to this week, there, uh, and you'll see all of them. You'll see the book background. You'll see the uh, book survey, chapter analysis, or I think what we're I think we, we called them. Hang on, let me look here. Uh, I know uh, we, we gave them a different title for the uh, podcast. If you go to the Church One app and you go to the uh, series Bible Study Exercise, you'll see that they were called the Best Bible Study Method. So you, you, if you go through the Best Bible Study Method, you'll see uh, Part 1, Part 2, Part 3, Part 4, Part 5, Part 6. That teaches you all the methods. That teaches you all the methods. You can start with really part two. Part one is an overview. Part two is the book background method. All right. Or you can just go back to, uh, you could really got to go back to Amos part one and, and join in. But we've taught you the book background method and now we have worked on trying to do so. All right. So are you ready? We're going to try to finish some things up today that I think are very important. All right. So let's do this. Let me remind you of all the parts of the book background method that should have already been taken. Or if you want to just start, here's what you need to do. First, we have to choose the book. That was done for you, the book of Amos. We have to gather all of our reference tools, right? What do you need? You need Bible dictionaries, Bible handbooks. Three Bible dictionaries, three handbooks is the suggestion. If you can't have three, uh, or you can do this, Three, maybe two dictionaries, one encyclopedia, and three handbooks, what, whatever, however you want to work it. But try to have at least multiple dictionaries, even if it's two, two and two. If it can be three and three, great. Or you can limit, like, you know, to two dictionaries, one encyclopedia, and three handbooks. But that's kind of what you need as a, as a good starting tools for a book background method. Because the book background method is you're relying on outside sources to give you that background before we ever get to the book itself, all right? So however you want to, you can, you can come up with the way you want to do that. However, dictionaries, if you can get an encyclopedia, and handbooks, all right? So, but you gather all your tools, then you write out your tools on a paper, but you abbreviate them, right? You, you write down kind of like a key, Right, so say new, uh, Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary becomes NIBD. 
the uh, ultimate Bible guide becomes UBG. Right? And the reason you want to lay out that abbreviation is when you start writing out all the things you're finding in these tools, you can write down the abbreviation and the page number so that you document the source from which you got your information. That is very, very important, right? So choose the book, gather your tools, list them out, abbreviate them, and then you start with the six vital questions. Who, when, where, why, whom, what? That's the six we came up with. And I, and I tried to explain to you that when you start answering them, when you start answering them, you may add additional questions. You may throw additional questions in. I'm not going to go back and review everything, but who, who, when, where, why, whom, what, we did all of that, right? We don't have time to go through that again. Then, this is very important, you have to research the geography of the book. You need anywhere in your reference tools, anywhere in the, now typically if we were doing this method by itself, you would be going through the, the book itself. You'd be skimming it, looking for all geographical references of places or mountains or anything dealing with geography. But in this particular case, what I wanted you to do is anything you found listed in your reference tools as you were reading about the background to the book and answering those six vital questions, you just write down those places. And we started making a list of places to look up. So we did the geography. I'm not going to go back and review it because, well, all of it's right there. You can go listen. Then we are to re research the historical background. We haven't done much with that. And then we need to research the religious background. What major religious issues was going on at the time of the book? How does it impact our understanding of the text? And then we need to research the political background, and then we need to research the cultural background, and then we need to summarize our research, okay? And then after we write our summary paragraph, we have to write down two or three hermeneutical keys that based on your background of the book, what are your hermeneutical keys you take from it? And, the, and I cannot stress the importance of this. When you're studying, when you're doing a book background study, you're gathering information, background information to the book so that you will have a hermeneutical key that can be very critical in leading you to interpret the book correctly. Sometimes the background information so much drives the way you interpret the book if you're going to do so correctly, right? So that, that's something I've given you to do. What we're going to work on today in just real time. I got, I got reference tools here, real time. We're going to work a little bit on the religious background. Now, when we were studying the geography, we discovered that Bethel or Bethel was mentioned. That was interesting. Now, the way the new illustrated Bible dictionary described it, it almost acted, it almost sounded like, and, and I'll just, I'm just going to walk you through how we figured this out. All right. So when we started studying the geography, we knew one of the things we had to look up was Judah, the Southern kingdom. We had to look that up because, well, one, um, Amos lived in a, a town called Tekoa, which was located, which was located in Judah, um, uh, the southern kingdom, all right? Not far from Jerusalem. So Amos lived in Tekoa, which was in Judah, the southern kingdom. All right, now that we need to know, have at least a basic understanding of the geography of the southern kingdom, right? Well, when we look that up, I've got the Bible dictionary here. I'm just going to take you through this really quick. When we looked up Judah... Kingdom of, we found a, just a little bit of information here, all right? Um, okay, here we go. Uh, Judah, kingdom of, one of the two nations into which the United Kingdom of Israel was divided following, following King Solomon's death in 931 BC. Judah consisted mostly of the tribes of Judah and part of Benjamin, although Simeon apparently was included later. The kingdom extended into the north as far as Bethel or Bethel, depending on how you mention it. Now, as soon as I read that, I was like, well, wait a minute, that's interesting. That makes it sound like the southern kingdom 
went all the way to Bethel, all the way included Bethel. And I'm like, well, I know that's not the case. So then I went to a map from a Jensen survey of the Old Testament. And immediately I realized, no, 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 the Southern Kingdom goes right up to where Bethel, is. The, the border in a sense is right before you get to Bethel. So Bethel is, once you get to Bethel, you're no longer in the Southern Kingdom. You've entered into the Northern Kingdom, all right? That, that's interesting. So, so that got us, well, we need to know a little bit about Bethel because here's the reason why. Bethel is located in Israel, the northern kingdom. Well, where is Amos sent? He goes to the northern kingdom to bring his prophecy, to bring his message. If Amos is, so Amos lived in the southern kingdom. He goes to the northern kingdom. And if he was to go that direction, one of the, I mean, if he's going straight up, from basically Tekoa, well, in fact, if we look here, if you go, uh, see where Tekoa is. Yeah, if you go straight up, if you go from Tekoa, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I think this is halfway accurate. If he goes straight up, he's going to go, he, first thing, he's going to go from Tekoa to Jerusalem. And then after, I think there's one other small town, and then immediately he crosses over into the northern kingdom. And guess what the first city there is? It's Bethel, or Bethel. So, that, that makes sense. And then when we started looking around, we realized that a lot of the, the, it appears that many believe that that's where he delivered a lot of his prophecy was at Bethel. Now, we have some additional sources today that says he may have went to another city as well. So we'll have to consider that. But uh, that immediately got us looking to Bethel, just from a geographical standpoint. So this is how we were looking at the geography and trying to put it all together. Because and you say, well, what does this have to do with the book? This gives us an idea of where things are, where things are located, what's going on. So be before we even step into the book, once we step into the book, we have an idea. Oh, Tekoa. I know where Tekoa is. It's, it's not very far from Jerusalem. And if you just go straight up, your next thing you're going to do, you're going to be in Israel. You're going to be in the northern kingdom. And there's going to be Bethel and Bethel's Bethel, Bethel. Bethel, depending on how you want to say it, is right there. It gives you some sense of what's going on and what is happening. So I'm like, okay, let's do a little bit of work on Bethel or Bethel, again, however you would like to say it. Um, and more just so just from a geographical perspective. But as soon as we started reading a little bit about Bethel, I was like, uh-oh, we've got some not uh-oh, but oh good, this is going to help us in our book background because after we do the geography and we do the history, we need to look at kind of the, we got to research the religion of the time. And this becomes very critical because where, does, where is Amos sent? The Northern Kingdom. One of the very first cities is Bethel. So I said, let's look up Bethel. Now, if you look up Bethel, oh, you're going to find something so interesting. Okay. And we talked about this yesterday. We talked about this yesterday. If I can find it, Bethel, here we go. Bethel means the house of God. It's the name of two cities, all right? A city of Canaan, all right? Um, and uh, we we, we talked a little bit about that uh, and see, and then there was a second one, a city in the territory of Simeon. Now, the first one, the first one, a city of Canaan, about 19 kilometers, uh, 12 miles north of Jerusalem. Bethel is mentioned more often in the Bible than any other city except Jerusalem. All right. So that's the Bethel we want. It's right there. You go from Jerusalem, you go about 19, about 12 miles north and boom, you're in the Northern Kingdom. You're in Bethel. Now, this is very, why it's very important. After the death of Solomon and the division of his kingdom, Jeroboam, the king of Israel, the, of the Northern Kingdom, set up two calves of gold. One in Bethel and one in Dan. Thus, Bethel became a great center of idolatry. Very important. And the chief sanctuary of Israel, rival, rivaling the temple in Jerusalem. 
Now, this is super important because Amos is going to show up and guess what? He's bringing a message of judgment. He's going to call out their sins. He's going to tell them judgment is coming. He's going to call them to repent. Yes, there'll be a promise of restoration, but now we understand there's a golden calf right there. It's now the center of idolatry. It's now, it's, it's a rival to the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, now, now we're getting some religious background to what's going on at the time of Amos. We, we know he comes from Tekoa in the southern kingdom. He goes up, I'm assuming passing through Jerusalem, goes right up to Bethel. Now, he may move on to another location, and we'll see if we can indicate and find that in any of the resources we're looking at. This, this is a little bit of... of information that that we covered last night but we're going to add we're going to start adding stuff to this now this is important this is very important the prophets jeremiah and amos denounced bethel for its idolatries we see this in jeremiah 48:13 i'm not going to give you the reference in the book of amos because right now in the book background portion i don't want you in i don't want you looking at the book of amos yet all right Hosea, deploring its great wickedness, Hosea chapter 10, verse 5 and 15, called Bethel, or Bethel, he called it Beth-Avon, house of idols, because of the golden calf set up there. Bethel, or Bethel, the house of God, had deteriorated into Beth-Avon, the house of idols. That's just a beautiful picture. Now, we I did not make this clear last night, but let me make it clear today. Beth-Avon is, is a different city than Bethel. It's east of Bethel, right? I can't remember exactly how many miles. I'll look it up here in a second. But the thing is, Beth-Avon became a descriptor a, a to describe Bethel. The house of God had become the house of idols, that is very powerful, very illustrative. It's like uh, at different times, places would be called Israel would be referred to like Sodom and Gomorrah. Not that that they became the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It, no, that that they are being described that way. Beth-Avon was being used in a descriptive way to say, hey, Bethel, the city, you've become Beth-Avon in your character. You were the house of God. You've now become the house of idols. That shows you how bad the situation had got. Now, I gave everyone an assignment last night that was very simple. How do you think the house of God became the house of idols? What, what were the steps? What do you think were the causes of it? First, Bethel. How did Bethel become the Beth-Avon? How did the house of God become the house of idols? What were you think some of the steps that led to it? What were the causes? And I wanted you to just write those out. Then, the church in our time is sometimes referred to as the house of God. How does the church... Many cases, the house of God become the house of idolatry. What are the steps that happen in the modern time? And then we as Christians, we are called the temple of the living God. How do sometimes do we as the temple of the living God really become the temple of idols? What are the steps that happen in the lives of individuals? So I, I, I hope people actually take the time to do that. It's a very practical exercise, but I hope that every, everyone will do that. Now, if we look up beth so Bethel is the house of God. If we look up Bethaven, Bethaven is the means a house of idols. It is a town in the hill country of Benjamin, east of Bethel and west of Michmash. Uh, now we don't; it doesn't tell us exactly how far away from. Um, Bethel it was, but just make sure you realize it's just a title. It's just a title there to describe it. It's two separate places. And if I wasn't clear on that, I wanted to clarify that today. So here's what we need to do. Here's what you need to do. All right. This is very important. I'm going to do a little bit of this for you. Not everything. I'm going to do a little bit. You need to try to figure out because we need to know the religious background. Everything you can find without, don't go doing extra research, because remember, this is a book background. We want to keep it somewhat simple. But in any of your, any of your reference tools, can you find anything that does any describing of the golden calf that was in Bethel? Any of the worship of the golden calf? 
any of the idolatry that was going on in Bethel, anything you can find in regards to their religious practices, the idolatry, the more you know, the better we understand the pronouncement of judgment that Amos is going to deliver when he arrives probably, possibly in Bethel. Now, I'm going to help you a little bit, all right? So just look up the idolatry. See if you can find anything. You may come across this phrase, fertility cults, fertility cults. I'm going to go back to the Nelson's Bible Dictionary. I'm going to go back to the entry for Bethel just to show you because I believe they mention this a little bit, and it's a very important clue, very important clue, all right? Here we go. Um, let's see here. I don't want to give too much away here. Um, okay, I don't want to give too much here. Okay, they go to Bethaven. Okay, that don't get that don't give that don't give a lot of I don't that don't give a lot of information here that would that would lead us completely to where I want us to go. I was looking here. I know I know where I can look in the Bible dictionary to find it, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that down, right? So in my entry for Bethel, they they just talk about the golden calf. They they talk about Bethaven. They talk about the golden calf. And then they talk about some things that happen after, but they don't really give us a lot of insight. We need insight. See if we can picture it. See if we can understand it. So I'm going to go to the ultimate Bible guide. And I'm going to do a, do a little bit of uh, reading here because I think it's important. All right. Um, uh, because I want us to have some kind of idea. Oh, I know what we can do. I'm going to go to the entry for Amos back in the Bible dictionary because I think this will give us really the clue. I think this will give us, uh, here we go. Yeah, I'm going to go to the entry for Amos in the Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. All right, I'm, try, I'm trying not to give too much away. I, I, I get ready to read something. I'm like, nope, 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 not going not gonna to do that. Not going to do that. Not gonna, because the goal is for you to get you involved. Remember, this is the, the whole reason I teach the way I'm teaching for most of the Bible study exercises is the, this podcast series is not designed for you to just sit there. It's designed for you to go get a Bible, a notebook and tools and to start studying for yourself. All right, so here we go. This is very important. I'm going to skip the other part because I don't want you to, uh, I don't want you to know that yet. Okay, Jeroboam encouraged the practice of fertility cults. Fertility cults. There's the phrase. Fertility cults. Look up anything in your reference about fertility cults. What do we know about them? And how does some of the worship and beliefs of the fertility cults show up in Bethel in the northern kingdom and does... And when we start reading the words of Amos, does some of his condemnation and description go, oh, that's the fertility cults. That, that's what he's referencing. Or are we not going to say anything? I, I tell you this, if we, if we need to at least have some, you don't need to know, be an expert on the fertility cults. You need to have at least a basic understanding of what they were and some of the general practices. If you want to know the religious background of the time. Now, but this is important. Here we go. All right. Jeroboam encouraged the practice of fertility cults, mixing an element of, now you should know this word. I'll spell it out. B-A-A-L, worship. Now, depending on which preacher you listen to, it will be bell worship. Some will say be all worship. Some will say ball worship. Some say, well, be, be all, be all. I've heard it pronounced so many different ways. Be all, be all. I'm not here to get into an argument how to say it, but just say, be, I'm going to go with be all because B-A-A-L, I think it works. Be all, be all worship. So we have fertility cult mixed with element of be all worship. Listen, with Israel's faith 
and their Lord of the covenant. I want you to hear what's going on in the Northern kingdom. This is crazy. So, so Jeroboam comes along. He's like, here's a little bit of fertility cult worship. All right. Here's a little bit of be all worship. Okay. And here's a little bit of your faith in the Lord of the covenant. Let's all put it in a bowl, mix it up and boom, here is your religion. It's a corrupted apostate mess. Now, how did they go from the house of God, Bethel, how did they go from the house of God to the house of idols, which becomes this kind of new convoluted religion mixed with, this is very important. I'm going to go through the the elements again because this is so important. Jeroboam encouraged the practice of fertility cults. So he got a little bit of fertility cults mixed with an element of Baal worship mixed with Israel's faith in the Lord of the covenant. A little bit of this, a little bit of this, a lot of that. Mix it all together and boom, what do you get? Not new and improved, but old and apostate. Now, I still want you, again, when you're doing book background, it can become so academic that you miss the devotional part of this. I need you to process and think and discuss how did this, how did they get from here to here? What led to it? And you can just speculate. If you don't think, you know, just, just throw out your theory here. This is just for discussion purposes, right? Now you can, you can write down your theory and we can test it later. Maybe, maybe we'll get some idea. Maybe we'll get some hints when we get actually into the book of Amos. This, this is so very important. I, I really hope people are taking this po- part of my assignment giving serious because it will be, if I, if, if, well, if I was teaching this in a Bible college or a seminary, you would be getting points taken off if you didn't take this part seriously because this, I think, is going to become the hermeneutical keys to the book. By the house of God, how in the world do they end up with fertility worship, Baal Baal worship, and the, the, the worship in the true God all mixed together? How does that happen? Very important. Now, this is interesting. If you look this up, you don't, you don't get, I mean, I, well, if you just look right here, you don't get a lot of information. So I thought, you know what, let's look up fertility cults. I, want, I wonder, is any, does anything show up for fertility cults to give me some idea? Because that's one of the elements here. Do I get anything here for fertility cults? So I look, do I find anything for fertility cults? And so I went to look and guess what? Nothing. And I'm like, well, that's not helpful. I need something about fertility cults because that's one of the elements. I'm like, well, I can't find anything there. Oh, let's look up BL. BL. Let's look that up. Because obviously we know that uh, that is mentioned. So I went here trying to find it. Oh, oh, oh. I found a little bit here. BL. Uh, means Lord Master, the name of one of one or more false gods, a place. Um, it's also named as a place and two people in the Old Testament. Now, this is what I found was interesting. Now, remember a fertility cult mixed with Baal worship. Now, please note this. This is very important. The very first entry here: a fertility and nature god of the Canaanites and Phoenicians. See God's pagan. All right. So let's look up God's pagan. All right. Oh, there, there it is. God's pagan. Now, this is a gigantic entry. We could be reading this for the next six months. They have an entire chart here of the pagan gods mentioned in the Bible. These reference tools are so so vital to any meaningful Bible study. They're so meaningful, okay? Uh, so let, I started just looking around. Okay, there's Egypt. Oh, wait. Here is Canaan, the pagan gods of Canaan. Now, this I, I think this is interesting. The pagan peoples who inhabited the land of Canaan before the Israelites arrived 
also worshipped many gods and goddesses. All right? They talk about the Canaanite literature, some of those gods. The Canaanite god most often referred to is Baal, which means Lord or Master. The word could be used as a title for any person who owns something or any good considered to be, or any God considered to be a Lord or Master. But the word Baal, Baal soon became identified with various regional gods that were thought to provide fertility for crops and livestock. As a god who symbolized the productive forces of nature, Baal was worshipped with much sensuality. Okay, so we've got, now please note, so now your crops and livestock, why would you want to worship Baal? You need good crops and you need healthy livestock. And how do you engage in said worship? Through much sensuality. You can get an idea of what was going on what it housed the house of God had turned into this. And what were they? What was one of the things there? A golden calf. Beal is the Lord and master of the livestock, of the crops. Now, this is important. Um, the Canaanite, see, uh, Beal appeared in many forms and under many refer, uh, different names. The Bible often makes references to a Balaam. Uh, the plural of Baal, that's, B, I guess, Baalim, B-A-A-L-I-M. You almost want to say Balaam. Um, and, uh, and then they, they talk about some other things. Now, uh, and then they mix it with a lot. They use it in forming names, and I won't go through all, all of that. They do have a bronze likeness here. Uh, not super helpful here. There's a lot of information, so we'll stop right. I'm not going to stop right there for that, but before we move on, let's do a little summary here. So a little summary here. Trying to do it in real time, live on the air. You're trying to move books around. You're trying everything, but that's okay. This is the fun part. We're, We're like working on this together. All right, so here's what we need to do. We need the religious background. We've got to get the religious background. We have to have the religious background I think I really do believe this becomes a major hermeneutical key in understanding the book of Amos. I really, really do. All right, so we need to understand the idolatry going on in Bethel, quote-unquote, Bethaven. We've got to understand it. Clearly, it's connected to the fertility cults. Clearly, it's connected to Beal. So you, anything you can find about Beal, Anything you can find out about the fertility cults. You don't need to go full-blown research mode. You just need to be able to basic idea of the fertility cults, the basic idea of Bial, and Bial would be clearly connected with the fertility cults because basically it's connected with the god of fertility, of livestock and crops, and the worship involves sensuality. I mean, you can see how all of this comes together. You need to understand all of that. At least a basic basic idea, but I want you to continue for for devotional purposes. I want you to work on answering my question. How does the house of God, Bethel, become Bethaven? How does the house of the true God become the house of Beal? How does the house how does the house of the true living God become the house of fertility cults? How does the house of God become the house of sensuality? How, how do you get there? You can just write down your own like steps. You think these are the steps. How does the ho- church of God, the house of God, become these things? How does the Christian, who becomes the temple of God, becomes these things? I really want you to work on that. Okay? Now, something else we need. We also need to know kind of the history and the cultural background. History and cultural background. I'm kind of mixing these together, but someone in their notes, they sent me their notes today, and they emphasized something that I thought was super important, that I had not, I got so caught up in the religious background that I kind of forgot this part. I kind of just like, well, whatever. I was so focused on how does the house of God become the house of idols? Like that's, that was what, I'm just completely fascinated by that. That's the part I want to investigate. But they mentioned something that I thought was super important. Maybe one of the hermeneutical keys in understanding what's going on and what Amos is going to do 
Maybe we need to understand the wealth and prosperity of Bethel. Maybe we need to understand the wealth and prosperity at that time of the northern kingdom. Does their wealth and prosperity, one, does it have something to do with how they go from the house of God to the house of idols? How they go from Bethel to Bethaven? How do they go to the house of God to the house of Baal? Is it their, so we need to, we need to know everything we can I mean, within reason, you don't have to spend extra time researching it, but in your material, do you see, do they give any indication of exactly how wealthy, exactly how prosperous they were? All right. There, there's a lot, I, there's a lot we can, we can do there. All right. There's a lot we can do with that wealth and prosperity. Now, if you do a little bit of work here, you'll find this. Amos was a, uh, let me see here. I'm just going to read a little bit here. Amos was a contemporary of Jonah. He was from Tekoa, a small town about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. He was, he was you know, basically lived out in the country for the most part. Uh, by profession, a shepherd and a gatherer of sycamore figs. He was not especially trained for religious work. I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Amos chapter uh, 7, verse 14. Nothing is known of his family's life. He evidently preached to the northern cities of Samaria and Bethel. Now, Samaria is Israel's capital. So what we may want to do here for Samaria, we may want to figure out, were they wealthy and prosperous? And what idolatry or religious things were going on in Samaria? Right? So we need to definitely need to get a little bit of inf information of Samaria, a little bit of information. Now, I can give you, I'll just do this really quick. Bible dictionary. Again, we're doing this in real time together. I'm literally walking you through the book background method. That's literally what I'm doing here. All right. Some people like this. Some people would prefer me just to just say it all. But I, I want you to actually be doing the same thing. All right, if you look up Samaria... Uh, let's see here. We get some uh, background information, origins of, um, let's see here. It says the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, they don't give us a lot of information. here. They give us a lot of the history. Um, okay, here. And we know, I know who captures it, okay, but we are, that's not going to help us much. All right, they, uh, okay, um, wow, that's a little bit of information. If you look up Samaria region of, you may get a little bit of information there. That's kind of interesting. Just, just, just because I'll, I'll just read a little bit about the region. Reading about the city, there's not a lot of help there. They, they, I was hoping they would give us some more information. They did better with giving us, we may have to look up a number of things. Just he, If he goes to the city of Samaria, we need at least a basic idea of what was going on there. It's the capital, so you can understand why he would go there. But they don't give us a lot of, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I was hoping they would give us more. But if you if you look at the region or the uh, the region of Samaria, a territory in the uplands of central Canaan that correspond roughly to the lands allotted to the tribe of Ephraim and the western portion of Manasseh, Samaria consisted of about one thousand four hundred square miles of attractive fertile land bounded by Bethel on the south and Mount Carmel on the north. Its rich soil produced valuable grain, crops, olives, and grapes may give us some insight to maybe their wealth, their luxury, and may once again lead us to why they are worshiping fertility cults and the fertility gods. All right. So, that, that, so that's just interesting information that he possibly preached there as well. Um, Amos, uh, well, then we already have the message, so that don't give us much help there. Uh, let's see anything else here that they give us. Anything else here? Um, no, 
Okay. Um, this is interesting. This may give us a little bit of, of, of maybe some insight. The uh, events of Amos's time belongs to chapter two of the story. God educates his nation, disobedient Israel. It reminds God's people that peace and prosperity can be threats to behaving like God's people. So was so how does the house of God, how does the house of God become the house of idols? Is it peace and prosperity? Is that a steps on the, down, on the downward scale? Um, they go on to say here, um, okay, I'm going to another page and I'm reading these from the Ultimate Bible Guide. I'm trying to skip around and not give around too much information because I'm not trying to give you everything here. We learned this. During Amos's day, the people of the northern kingdom, so the whole kingdom, not just Bethel, not just Samaria, the whole kingdom, felt politically, economically, and religiously secure. Uh, Amos announced that these were false securities. Polit- uh, I'm not going to read that because that's going to give away. Uh, economically good times had led to social corruption. Religious uh, and uh, religiously, the worship of the Lord had been compromised by idolatry. There you go. So we need to add. So when we're looking at the religious background. We need to look at idolatry in Bethel, see if, if, what, what idolatry was possibly going on in Samaria. The fertility cults, were they present in both? And Baal. Then kind of for the history background, cultural background, we need to know about the wealth and prosperity of Bethel, Samaria, or the Northern Kingdom at that time. Anything about their wealth and prosperity, right? Then you need a, a little bit of the political background. This is simple. This is easy. Look up and just read and get a basic summary of King Uzziah. He, he's ruling in Judah at the time of Amos. So King Uzziah, right? What, what were some, what, just, you don't need to know every detail, but just the basic things. What was, what was going on in the southern kingdom? That's where, that's where Amos lived in Tekoa in Judah. The king was Uzziah. What was going on? And then King Jeroboam II, he was the king ruling in Israel at the time. Get a basic idea. That will give you the political aspects. What were they doing as kings? What, good kings, bad kings, indifferent. We know Jeroboam introduces, well, he, he introduces fertility cult worship, be all worship, and mixes it with the worship of the true God. So we know, and that's interesting. Does the politics corrupt the, the people of God? There you go. Even if you don't do anything else, if you just get the, if you get the basic, if you, if you get the, if you get the, if I can speak correctly, if you get the who, when, where, why, whom, what kind of questions answered, when was the book written? Uh, when do the events occur? Where was the book written? Why was the book written? Whom was it written to? What was going on when it was written? What was going on at the time of the events of the book? If you get those basic six down, Um, You know a little bit about the geography, Judah, Assyria, Israel, Samaria, Bethel, Beth-Avon. I mean, all of those basic things that we've looked at, you've got a basic view of 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 the geography. If you have the religious background down, the idolatry in Bethel, um, that it was called Beth-Avon, the fertility cults, be all, figure out what was going on there. Um, if you'll look at the wealth and prosperity, well, that, that gives you uh, that, well, the geography, then you need the uh, religious background for historical background uh, and cultural background. You need to know the wealth and prosperity of what was going on at the time. And then for the political background, you need to basically just know what uh, something about Uzziah and Jeroboam. Then you summarize that and you're done with your book background method. There you go. And I've done a lot of the work for you a little bit. But please, 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 please. I am begging you somewhere on your paper before Sunday evening. How does the house of God become the house of idols? 
whatever you think. You can just, it should, you can just put my hypothesis, my theory. Here are the four steps that led the house of God to become the house of idols in the time of Amos, right? Your four things. And then how does the house of God, the church, become the house of idols in 2022? Just your hypothesis, your theory. And then in your own personal life, how do you as the temple of the living God at times look more like the temple of idols? What are the four steps that lead it to for you in your life? If you, if you don't do that, then all you've done is engaged in a academic study, which is, which is great and is wonderful. But I, I know this, as someone who's gone to who knows how many Bible colleges and seminaries and all the schools I've went to, I know it's very easy when the Bible becomes simply an academic textbook you're studying. It's always supposed to, supposed to be a way that we get convicted and challenged and grow spiritually. This just has handed us the subject. I mean, what better thing than this great descriptive concept of Bethel, the house of God, being called Bethaven? How does the house of God which means house of idols. How does the house of God become the house of idols? I mean, you can't, you can't, I mean, that's, that's like just handing it to you. So think and contemplate on that. All right, 56 minutes, a lot of review, a lot of putting it all back together, and a lot of trying to help you and encourage you and your Bible study, not to give up, not to get discouraged, and to continue. Because look, the book background is the easiest part. I mean, all, think of it this way. Book background and a roundabout way is like your open book test that sometimes you would get in school. I mean, all the answers are right there in the book, and they're giving you the opportunity to look in the book to find it. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. A book background, you're just looking at all the tools, summarizing, and then summarizing. I mean, you basically write a summary of what you're finding, and then you write a summary of all of your summarizing, okay? And then you figure out two or three of the hermeneutical keys, and then you don't forget the practical devotional thing I've given you about how the house of God becomes the house of idols. I can't wait to see people's theories on that. I cannot wait. If you don't do it, I'm going to come to everyone's house and knock on their door. I want my list. I want my list. I can't remember the movie back in the 80s, but there was this, that throughout the movie, the, the, this kid would show up on a bicycle going, I want my $5. I, and just, he kept wherever. It was just the most random thing in the world. And it used to make me crack up. I can't remember. I think it was a John Cusack movie, but it, it would make me just crack up. It just, I want my $5. Well, I'm just going to, I want my list. I want my, it'll be three in the morning. I want my list. And you'll be like, go away. No, I want my, I'm going to camp out in your front yard until I get my list of how the house of God becomes the house of idols, right? If you don't do that, you fail. <laughs> That's it. I, I can't fail anybody. But if I, if, I, if I could, I would. Because I want people to get the, the, the something devotional. And I think it's very key in how, why Amos is going to Bethel, like why? Or into, into Samaria. I think it's very important that we understand that as well. All right, and uh, do I? I'm, I'm, I'm going to look really quick. How far? Hang on, I'm going to open up uh, my Jensen survey. I'm going to find my Jensen survey. Where is my map? Where's my map? Okay. Um, where is? There's Bethel. I guess they don't bother to show me where Samaria was. Huh, let me look hang on, let me look. I think I got another map. Let me look here. I'm just I'm just curious now. I'm just curious now. Now now I'm curious. I'm just curious. Okay, uh there's Samaria. It's it looks like a pretty good distance. That looks like a really good distance from Bethel to Samaria. Hmm. So did he go to Bethel for a little while, then go to Samaria? I mean, it's not like he could have been, 
Did I wonder if he went to Bethel, declared all of his prophecies, all the prophecies in Bethel, then moved on to Samaria, declared all of his prophecies in Samaria, and then came back home to Tekoa, where possibly the book was written. Or would it make sense to go straight to Samaria, then go to Bethel? I don't know. But there you have it. It's also... Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna offer that. There's a place. I, I just on this map on the uh, Ultimate Bible Guide. If you if you look at page 188, anyone who has this, you'll notice that it says Amos chapter 1, 13 through 15, and it points to a place that is not in the Southern Kingdom and is not in the Northern Kingdom, and then above that, it names another place, Amos 1, 2 through 5, that is not in the Northern or Southern Kingdom. Do we need to know about those areas? Oh, there's a lot of places on this map mentioned. Okay, now I'm noticing there's a bunch of them. So I don't, I th- I don't think we should. I think those places that we've looked at are key. Those others, if they're mentioned in the text, we'll deal with it in our um, other studies and our other Bible study methods. All right, you can email me if you need any help, need any assistance. If you need any books that we can help you get, if you just like, I don't know what to start. We've got some books we can send you. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best if we can afford it. We'll send you out reference tools. We always send out new reference tools. We, don't, we want to make you hopefully have the best that we can get you. And, uh, but whatever we can do to help you, just let me know. Newsif@yahoo.com. If, you, if you're doing the assignments and you want to send me your work, newsif@yahoo.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great Friday. We'll probably do at least maybe one more broadcast tonight, maybe. And then we'll do, obviously be doing some live broadcasting tomorrow. All right. Thank you. Uh, this is, I think, the third live broadcast for today. So hopefully something we've done has proven to be beneficial. Thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. Finish your book background method by Sunday evening. Thanks for listening. God bless.